All right. Happy Labor Day weekend. Hey, I want to let you know that uh, that this is our is this our third week in the new facility? Second week. Third. How many know? Two of us. All right. Uh, do any of you know that we're in a new facility? Do any of you know where you are right now? Okay. Hey, we know that if, uh, if you're sitting in a place that it's difficult to hear what I'm saying, uh, raise your hand. Is it hard to understand me in any part of this room? Okay. If it is, if you're having a hard time hearing me, we know that there are some dead pockets in this room that we're working on. This room's not finished when it comes to sound. I know that uh, maybe if you're sitting in a certain place, the music seems loud, and in another place, it seems not loud enough. Uh, here's what I'd like for us to agree to do, and I want you to work with me on this, okay? Because we're a family here. Uh, if you don't know the people sitting around you, let me tell you a couple things about them. They're worth getting to know, and when you get to know them, you'll question that. Um, because they're like you. <laughs> they're, just, they're just messes, all right? But they're beautiful messes. So as a family, let's agree right now that if you're in a spot in this room that the lighting's bad or maybe you're sitting underneath a vent and you're getting cold, has that happened yet? Or you're sitting in a part of the room and you're too warm or you can't understand what I'm saying, that you will get up from your seat and you will move to another seat and all of us will see that as completely acceptable. Agreed? Okay, does anybody understand what I just said? Are you with me on this? Okay, some of you are like, I can't even raise my hand. And you want me to get up and move? You can do it. Trust me. This is a safe place. All right. Thank you. Mark just moved, but he can't because you're running our PowerPoint. And if you're tired this morning and you need uh, to get up and walk around the back, you can do that. Or you can do wind sprints on the, uh, the little ramp there. And you can stage dive where Heather is, right up there. And they will catch you. All right. Todd, you will catch them, won't you? See, Todd right there. He's the catcher. Turn to Joshua chapter 1, because we are in a series that is shining a light on the significance of what's happening to this church. Uh, We lost our home this summer, Uh, we got displaced, and God has brought us back, but I want you to know that the leadership of this church feels like this is a significant season for this congregation. Because this is a season where we get to experience God uh, re-enthusing, is that a word? Uh, fanning into a flame or uh, breathing new life into the vision of what God has called us to be in this community. And we often say it here that uh, you are the church. If, you, if you're going to church this morning, it's going to be over by 3 o'clock. But if you are the church, then this really, it changes the whole proposition of what we're talking about this morning. How do we live as the church? And we've been talking about that uh, we need to rise up and realize that God has given each of you gifts. He's given each of you callings. And he's really put you guys in each places of leadership. How will you lead? Some of you are, like we said last week, your dynamic, compulsive leaders. You're looking for those opportunities to lead. You drive your friends crazy because you always take charge when you, whenever you go out. They're always the ones saying, this is where we're going to go and this is what we're going to do and we've got to get gas, you know? Some of you are situational leaders where you have children and you have to be leaders. Or you're married, you have to be a leader. 
or you're at a job where your friends are looking to you or people are put under your authority and you have to lead. Some of you or all of us have to bring leadership to the God, God's call in our lives, to even our moral lives. How are we going to live today? What will you choose to do today? That's bringing leadership to yourself. So it's vital for us to understand what does Scripture have to say about how to be a good leader. So we've been studying the life of Joshua. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the foundations of leadership, that Joshua was a follower, he was faithful, that he was a worshipful man. Last week, we talked about the power of being people that live in the now. Todd, did you just move? Uh, are there two of you? All right. He was over here just a minute ago. All right. But now we've started the book of Joshua. So uh, Joshua chapter 1. Somebody give me a page number from the House Bible. 149. Joshua chapter 1 and uh, verse 6. This is God speaking to Joshua. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. See, let me tell you what's happening here. Well, first of all, I hope you notice that God said to Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. And he even said at the end there, don't be terrified. What's about to happen is Joshua is about to see the realization of the promise that God made to Abraham and then to Moses and now to Joshua that you will inherit the promised land. So they had all these people. These are, these are warriors, but also families. Little kids are about to cross the Jordan River, which is at flood stage, and they're going into the promised land. But what's waiting for them in the promised land is seven tribes that are warring tribes with swords and spears and shields that know they're coming. And so Joshua is about to lead this entire community of people into war. People are going to die. If that was me, I can imagine that if, if our community was the community of Israel, that many of you would be staying up the night before we cross the Jordan River because you can't sleep. You're wondering, how are we going to get across the Jordan River? Are people going to drown? Are my kids going to drown? Are the swords sharp enough? If you're a man, then you were probably sharpening your sword and making sure that your spear was at your side and you had a shield that was ready to go, that you were putting your armor on because men were preparing to fight and prove themselves. And God comes to Joshua and says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Is this kind of like God's locker room moment? Is this where God is, you know, getting with Joshua and going, all right, Joshua, the big game is tomorrow. You know, you can do this. Don't be afraid, man. Go into battle. This is it. And I... I thought about this moment of uh, what movie illustration would I give you at this moment of a great inspirational speech of someone that's about to lead people into chaos, what would they say? And being a movie buff, I couldn't come up with one that I liked, so this is kind of like 
you know, overdosing as a heroin addict. I just decided to get all of them together. And instead of telling them to you, I thought I would just show them to you. So here we go. Great inspirational moments from the theater. Are we ready? Can we get the lights too? Are you inspired? Slightly offended? Yes. <laughs> is that what God is doing here? Is this an inspirational moment where God is showing Joshua that he is the great coach in the sky? That he can inspire Joshua and you to do great things? I don't think so. Let's take this passage apart because God is not trying to inspire Joshua to do great things. He is preparing him because here's the leadership principle that Joshua needed to grasp, you need to grasp, I need to grasp, our community needs to grasp, is this. God was saying to Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous, not to go into battle and fight the enemy, but to be a man of the word. And he's saying the same thing to us, that we must be strong and courageous. See, let me explain to you what's happening here, is that Joshua is our brother. He is the first in our generation. And what I mean by that is that when Moses lived, God spoke directly to Moses. And then Moses spoke to the people. And Moses started writing all this stuff down. He actually wrote the Pentateuch, which is the five uh, first books of the Bible. But as soon as Moses died, 
When God said, now that Moses is dead, for the very first time, God says to a man, now pick up the book. Joshua was the first. God said, now I'm going to teach you through what Moses wrote. The book. You know, it's really interesting about our culture is that it's a very common thing to say in our culture that God is impossible to know. That it's impossible. I mean, what do you know about God? I mean, come on, be for real. God is, is so other than us. It's impossible for us to know him. All you have to do is look at microbiology. If you study that, you realize there's so much there that we didn't know 50 years ago, that we didn't know 10 years ago, that we don't even know today. And if we can't know microbiology, how can we assume that we know the God that created that? Or think about the universe, macro. You know, if we can't even uh, stretch our hand out to the farthest extent of the universe, that we don't know what's out there, everything that we look seems to be new to us, that God is, is even vaster than that. If we can't know his creation, how can we possibly know God? Maybe you've heard this, that it is arrogant. It's really arrogant for anyone to say they know God. It's arrogant for us to say that we know anything about God for certain. It's more arrogant for us to say that we know truth. I mean, how can we say that we know truth? And it's a cultural sin to even say that we know absolute truth. And what is absolute truth? Absolute truth is a truth that is absolutely true regardless of the person that holds it or the situation that it's in. There can't be absolute truth, right? It's much easier because these things seem to be so unreachable and so unattainable and so ungraspable. Is that a word, graspable? We're gonna make that a word this morning, all right? Should I show the video again? All right, Superman with the flag, that was my favorite. Or do y'all remember, the, what was the guy's name that tore his shirt off and he had the Superman? Sloth, and what was his buddy's name? Yeah, okay, man, I love it that you guys know that movie. It's one of my favorite. The Goonies, by the way. Go rent that this afternoon. If it's arrogant for us to say that God is, unknow that God is knowable, that we know God, or we know truth, then it's much easier for me to say that nothing is true for everyone. In other words, it's much easier for me to embrace the notion, well, what's true for you is true for you. And what's true for you is true for you. If that works for you, then go for that. That's great. Because who can actually know God? But here's what I want us to grasp this morning. As people that are saying, I want to understand how to bring leadership into my own life, into my business, into my family, into my own heart, into my mind, into the community that I live in, is that although the Bible has been written by men, it was inspired by God. And when the Bible says that it is God-breathed, it is saying that God is the one that is bringing the revelation. In other words, God is intentionally saying to us that it's his desire that we would know him. And because God intentionally desires for us to know him, he's the one that dictates the means and the information in which we know about him. If you went to a theological boot camp, John Mason was talking some about this, and he was talking about the, uh, the Trinity. And he made this comment that I wrote down, and this is going to be a great quote for John Mason. He said, the Trinity, we don't have a ticket to that place. 
And it's true, we don't. How can any of us presume that we can enter into the dynamics of the Trinity? We can't. Unless, of course, God says, now I'll bring revelation to you. Because God in his perfection, God in his all-knowing, God in his all-sufficiency, God in his all-power, and, and the one that has every resource at his availability that could have brought revelation of himself in any way that he wanted, in any manner that he chose to do it, whether it's writing in the sky or assembling beetles on a beach that spell out, I am God and I am here. He could have done any of that. He chose to use this book. And he's saying to Joshua, I'm bringing revelation now to myself through the book. This is the way that God chose to do it. In the New Testament, when it comes to us, and we understand that God just wasn't talking to Joshua, he's talking to us too. In John chapter 1, it talks about Jesus, and it says that Jesus was the Word. And the Word became flesh. That the breath of God, the Word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt there actually is the Greek word for tabernacle, meaning that God came now and he tabernacled in the same way he did in the Old Testament in the tabernacle. Now God has become among us. And he's come among us through his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. God speaks. How does he speak? Through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. See, some would say that since we can't know anything about God, then everything that we presume that we know about God can't be true. In other words, if we can't know truth fully, then we can't know truth. But what God is saying to us in this is that he's the one that controls the revelation. And although we may not understand on this side of heaven or even on the other side of heaven, what it fully means that Jesus was the exact representation of his being. What does that mean? My professor in seminary... Uh, often talked about that uh, the logic of God is 2 plus 2 equals 4. Is that true for us as well as God? Is God bound by the logic of math like we are bound to the logic of math? And he talks about how we understand 2 plus 2 equals 4, but our understanding of that may be very limited, where God's understanding of that may be beyond scope of our imagination. The point that we're making there is, is that none of us will ever know truth fully. How can we comprehend something to the extent in which God comprehends it? Are you with me? But that does not take away from the fact that we can know truth. I may not know it fully, but I can still know truth. So it says here, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact rep representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of, the majesty, of majesty in heaven. See, what Jesus came to do was to bring a fuller revelation of not only who God is, but what God was doing in bringing us not only salvation, but companionship and connection with God. It was God who decided to reveal himself to us, and it's him that brings and controls the revelation. So when we come to the Word, 
we know that we may be at times limited by our understanding and our scope of the depth of this truth, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it's true. See, he did something else too. Because when Jesus completed his redemptive work, when he finished it on the cross, he also sent us the Holy Spirit. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Well, there it is. We can't know it, right? I mean, he's saying it right there in Scripture. That counters everything I've just said. But there's a big but in this Scripture. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. Yeah, you can take that however you want. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? Isn't that true about you? Have you ever tried to explain something about yourself to another person and get frustrated? Or something that you feel or something that, something that you experience and you're trying to convey that experience to them and you just get frustrated because it's impossible for them to experience the depth in which you're feeling that in your own heart. True? Well, that's what Scripture is saying right here. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? We know that no one is going to be able to share to the depth of my heart what I experience within me. Well, if that's true about us, listen to what it says about God. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, listen to how profound this is. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. Do you hear how profound that is? That I may not be able to help you fully understand me to the extent that I understand me because that's the spirit inside of me. You're going to get frustrated and I'm going to get frustrated. But God now has sent his spirit into my spirit so that I can begin to understand the spirit of God. And he can teach me about himself and bring a deeper revelation. That's why we say here on Sunday morning often, that we have to listen to the Holy Spirit because truth is not something that's discovered. Truth is something that's revealed. And Holy Spirit is the great revealer of truth. So to be a leader, we need strength and courage to be people of the book. Well, let's think about that just for a second before we come to this communion table because why is that? I mean, come on. I mean, do you really need strength and courage to, to like, kind of get into Jonah, getting swallowed by big fish? I mean, you know, you remember that in Sunday school, if you had that experience where, you know, maybe David took a rock and he killed a big giant. I mean, it's a cute story. It's great for kids to hear about death and mayhem and how David cut his head off. Love that felt board illustration. Or Moses, I mean, not Moses. I get him confused with Noah. And Noah was the guy who built the ark, not Moses, all right? Or, you know, all these great stories, and we have this sense of nostalgia with the Bible. I was listening to NPR this week, and they had Willie Nelson on there, and he was playing some of his songs, and one of them was the old family Bible, and the interviewer was asking him, you know, like, what was your Bible like? And he goes, ah, oh, you know, it was, it was just leathery and dusty and just big and right there in the middle of the table. And he just talked about the nostalgia he had with this book and the great stories that his parents would read to him about that. Is that what takes courage? Okay, hang on, because we're going to go a little deeper. 
See, I need courage and I need strength for me to step from this being a nostalgic book to allowing God to have authority in my life. It takes courage. It takes strength to say, Lord, I will let you have authority in my life through your words. Now, you know, I'm not just talking about, you know, all of us, even if you don't go to church anywhere, you, you would probably expect that I would talk about the big three, you know, like, you know, sex, alcohol, and money. You know, that God has specific rules against those things, and I think it's pretty safe for us to say that, you know, if, if you're drinking too much on a Friday night and, and you find pictures of you on Facebook dressed like Elvis the next day, that maybe that's a sin, that you've gone over the line, or maybe if, you know, you're not able to remember the names of people that you hooked up with last week, that's probably too much, that that's a sin. Obviously, we can say that those things are not in the book, but I want to take us deeper because the book doesn't just dictate life for us. The, the book also takes us to that place we call the spirit to where it challenges the whys of who we are and what we believe about things. It's more than just my actions. It's also why I'm doing things. And I let the book, I let the Lord reshape what I believe to be true about my life, about what I believe about my heart, about relationships, about shame, about forgiveness, and about love. I mean, let me give you this example. The scriptures say rejoice. He said, I'll say it again, rejoice. Always rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's a real churchy kind of thing to say. Like you would expect to hear that here this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. You like my voice when I talk like that. Go do it. I mean, think about that. For me to take that out of here and take it into my real life, I just got cut off in traffic. Praise the Lord. You know, my car just got broken into and my radio's gone. Thank you, Lord. I rejoice. That person at work stabs me in the back. That situation that worked against me to where now I look like a fool. See, when we take these things and say, Lord, help me bring that into my life, you want to talk about strength and courage. When Renee and I uh, first got married, um, we were young, and uh, I grew up in a house of all boys, and uh, I learned about uh, arguing. You know how we talked about last week that we, we learn from our families the way that we live life. And what I learned from my family in arguing in a house of all boys is that the last man standing is right. So uh, anything from the last piece of pie to who gets to watch what they want on television to whatever it is, it typically ended up in the backyard. And we're all going at it. And the last man standing, that's how we learned about good conflict management, all right? And uh, Renee grew up in a house of all girls. And what they learned about conflict, or what she learned about conflict, is when there's conflict, you go to your room and you shut the door. And you wait till the conflict's over, then you come back out, right? Okay, so we get married. And our first argument, uh, I, do you remember what it was about? I'm sure I did something wrong. And, and anyway, so we, we're having an argument. Was it the discussion about we don't like each other? Was that it? It could have been. All right, that, if you're not married yet, that'll happen one day in your marriage. You'll turn over and you'll go, gross. 
how did this happen? What was I thinking? That's happened to Renee more than me. But so we're at the kitchen table. We're both in school, and you know, when I say kitchen table, I'm talking. I don't know what that was, you know. But we get an argument, and I'm like, okay. And in my mind, I'm I'm like last man standing wins. And so I'm rolling in my head. I got my argument, my defenses. Oh, yeah, I am so right in this, and you are going down. You know, I'm ready to argue. And I turn around, and she's nowhere to be found. How do I argue if you're not here? Get out of the bathroom. She's in the bathroom. And she's like, well, work that out, and when it's over, call me. Our family systems were in conflict with one another. And it sounds funny this morning, but it was incredibly painful. Because how do, we, how do we get through this? How do we deal with conflict and say that conflict is a healthy part of relationships when you want to walk away and I want to get too loud? How do you do that? You see how the book begins to speak into our lives. Because Jesus, when we invited him into that, and we said, guide us through that, Lord. The Lord said, okay, I'm going to take you away from your family systems. I'm going to, you're going to have to put down the way you've always done it, and now you're going to have to pick up my way. And I'm going to teach you a new way. And this new way is not for cowards. Because this new way is not hiding in a bathroom or beating people up until you get your way. The new way is a place of honesty. The new way is a place of grief. A new way is a place of pain. A new way is learning how to listen more than being heard. A new way is learning how to love and letting your faith express itself in love. And that new way was unfamiliar to me. And that was a painful, arduous process because something in me had to die because something was fighting to come alive in me. And the Word was guiding me through what was happening inside of me. The Word didn't make it happen. Jesus Christ, who said, I will finish the work that I have started in you, Randy, he was the one that was making it happen because he was in me, the hope of glory. And he was bringing himself to the surface of my life, to the great pains of my old man. You tracking with me? See, it's the difference. And get this, if you write anything down today, write this down. I was with a friend this week and we started talking about this. It's the difference of living for Jesus or living with Jesus. It is so much easier to live for Jesus than to live with Jesus. I can tell you, give me all the rules you want about what you want me to do for you, just don't move into my house. Because I can try to work my life around your rules, but when you move in, it inconveniences everything I do. Right? So what we're talking about is the difference of living for Jesus or living with Jesus. So how do we do that? Let's go back to Joshua chapter 1. Let me say a couple things real quick, and then we're about to come to this table and really experience the grace God has for us through His Son. The first thing that Joshua hears from the Lord, and remember the Lord is saying to Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified to pick up this book. Verse 8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Do not let it depart from your mouth. What does that mean? Do not let it depart from your mouth. He's saying to Joshua, speak it. Speak it. Take this. 
speak it. What's the power of saying something? You know, in uh, the Tennessean yesterday, there was a little article. I tried to find it, but we threw it out, and it's under a bunch of garbage, and I wasn't that committed to go dig it out, all right? So, but it was talking about the uh, speaking diet, things to say and not say when you're on a diet. And one of those is never say you're on a diet, you know, because that assumes this is a temporary situation when you're really going through a lifestyle change. Yes. And I'm reading this, and I'm fascinated because they're talking about the power of the words that you use to yourself. And God is saying, speak it. Have you ever been with somebody, and they're saying stuff, and you look at them and you go, do you hear what you're saying? And they stop. I can't tell you how many times I'm with people, and they'll do this. They'll say something as strong and profound with deep conviction that is true, is true, as true, as true. And when they get through and they've said it, man, and the skies are falling down because it's so true, they look at me and go, yeah, but I don't know. What? Did you hear what you just said? And it almost moved them from this place of strength and these three little words, I don't know, moved them back to the place of no responsibility whatsoever with that truth. Because if this is true, what comes with that is power. If it's not true, you don't have to pick it up. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Leonard Sweet, in his new book called Nudge, he talks about evangelism. And listen to what he says about this, because it's really kind of cool. I believe the lifeblood of evangelism is not proposition, but prepositions. For God to do something through us, God must first be doing something in us. If we are not always, and this is what I want you to hear, if we are not always evangelizing ourselves, we have no business evangelizing others. Isn't it so funny that so many churches and so many Christians try to get people to pick up and and take on and believe stuff they don't even believe themselves? And that's what Leonard's talking about, the power of speaking. And here's what I ask you. The first question I want you to answer And your time at this table today is, who are you speaking the word with? Who are you gathering around you and saying, let's talk about this. I need to hear myself say this. This last week we used, last Sunday we used Philippians 1.9 in the passage where it says that your love, that Paul was praying that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. And that verse just kind of got stuck with me. And I found myself, every conversation I was having with people, it seemed, I was bringing up that verse. And I was asking people, what do you think about that? That he's saying that the way that I discern what is best in my life, the way that I make decisions in my life, the way I understand the road to go is that I would grow in love. What does that mean? Fascinating conversations. So here's my first question. Where are you speaking the word? Who are you speaking it with? The second thing that he says to Joshua is he says, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. He says to Joshua, meditate on it. You know, it's interesting. uh, I read once that Einstein would spend hours sitting in a chair just thinking, meditating, when I was uh, in studying pre-veterinary science and I was working 
uh, out on the farm, we put a fiscula in the side of a cow, which is actually, we put a hole in his body so that we could reach our hand down into his stomach. I know. You know, it's crazy stuff, you know, country boys do when they're bored. And uh, because a cow has four stomachs, and this was the remnant stomach, where when a cow grazes, it goes into his largest stomach, which is like a big barrel. And when the heat of the day comes on, they go out and they find a shade or, you know, some place that's cool or a pond. And this part of their stomach is, is constantly have muscles that's rolling all the stuff that they've been eating all day. And it rolls it into balls. And so when they get out underneath the tree in the noonday heat, they regurgitate one of those balls. Yes, I know. You're saying, I am ready for communion now. <laughs> That's what a cow is chewing when he's chewing his cud. Because he's chewing up further what he had eaten earlier so that it would digest more easier as it goes to the other three stomachs. Right? How do we meditate on the Word of God? There's no formula here that's some high formula. We take time. We take time to spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, will you teach me? Will you speak to me? Let me ponder on this. Let me wrestle with this. Let me understand what it is that you're teaching me through this passage. So second question, where are you spending time meditating on the Word of God? And then third, he says, obey. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the laws my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. It's pretty straightforward. He's saying, don't only speak it, meditate on it, but now follow it. You know, it's funny about this. When we moved to Fort Lauderdale, uh, we had a friend that flew in to see us, and they flew into the, the uh, Miami International Airport, and so we were going to go down uh, to pick them up. And I asked a buddy that worked with me, hey, how do I get down there? And he drew me a map. And then he put the map down and he looked at me. And I'm not kidding you. He looked at me and he goes, you've never been to the Miami International Airport before. I said, no, no, this is the first time. He says, brother, listen to me. He says, look at me. He says, do not deviate from this map. I'm laughing like you are. And he goes, I'm not joking. Miami is not the place where you make the wrong turn. You cannot, cannot pull over and ask somebody for directions. I mean, you just, like, I, I thought, man, I am driving into hell, you know? <laughs> Keep your head down, honey, they're shooting. He was dead serious. And I think scripture is in some ways that too. It's dead serious in saying, don't go to the right or to the left. Follow closely. Where is he calling you to obey? Where are you hesitant to say, no, I'm not sure, God. Where are the yeah buts in your life? See, we're about to come to this table. And I, I want to really, some, you know, for some of you, what we've done today is we've put a match to a huge forest fire in your life. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Speak, meditate. You know, man, I can do that. Obey. I ain't. Man, now I've got the three points. We will be successful. God will be with us. Man, we will be more than conquerors. And you're just, you're just ready. It's like a fire fire, man. It's just a, going crazy. For some of you in this room, you're like, oh, it just sounds like such a burden. And it's like a little bitty ember. You can blow on it. You can just see a little 
bitty spark glow there, like, okay, maybe I'm getting that, but I'm not sure that I'm completely in on it. No, I'm not really sure. I want to... No. Hear this. Our ability to speak, our ability to meditate, our ability to obey is not the condition of God's love for us. It is not. We lean into these things because we are loved by God. It's because of his love that he's calling us to his word. It's because of his love that he's challenging us to put down ourselves as the king of our world and we're the judger of what all truth will be and humble ourselves before the God of the universe and step into the beautiful redemption that he's purchased for us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what he was saying to Joshua. I want you to be successful. Joshua, I want you to prosper. Joshua, I want you to have a life that has a story to tell. And because of that, I'm calling you speak, meditate, and obey. In 1 John chapter 4, it says it a little differently. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, Midtown. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to, since God so loved us, we ought to. That's 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. I'll let you figure out the rest. But there's an ought there. And the ought is not conditional on God's love. It's a result of God's love. We're coming to this table. And so whether your ember is a dying ember and you're not really sure, how do you, how do you come to this book? How do you come to this place where you let God speak into your life? It's okay. Or whether you're coming up here with a forest fire blazing. That's okay, because there's a lot of mistakes in that too. He just says, come, because he loves us. Because he loves you. Because he loves me. And because if you can accept that that proposition is true, that God loves us that intently, would you take a moment and ask yourself, am I making time to speak of the book? Or is my life consumed with speaking of other things? What am I spending my time thinking about? And who is it that I follow? Let's pray. Lord, we, as leaders, we def desperately need you. Because the things that we lead, whether it's our families, our business, our own hearts, our own lives, our own pain. Whatever it is that we lead, Lord, these are critical things that are so important. This is no small thing, Father, and we pray for courage and we pray for strength to believe that you care about these things too. And that through your word you lead us. You speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, whether my friends here have a smoldering ember Breathe on it, Lord. Or whether it's a blazing fire, Lord, protect them from pride. But let us come to this table and believe that you are loved. In Christ's name. And we're about to come to this table.
Let me tell you a little bit about this table. It's one of two sacraments the Lord instituted for his church, which is us. He said, do this uh, as a way of remembering him, but also as a way of proclaiming that he's coming again. So the way we do it here at Midtown is very intentional. We're going to ask you to get up from your seat and come up here. We want you to participate physically in this. And as we come into the time, we're going to have music going and we're going to be worshiping the Lord. When you feel ready in prayer and in worship, come on up, squeeze in, uh, come to the kneelers. Whatever you need to do at that kneeler, you do that. But when you're ready for us to serve you communion, put your hands out, uh, the servers will serve you. If you get up here and you need someone to step into your journey, maybe this morning uh, you're just hurting more than anybody knows that you're hurting. Or maybe this morning you're at a crossroads and you just need someone to stand there in the gap with you and pray for you. Just cross your chest uh, and do it obviously so we'll know that you're asking us to pray for you and we'll step in and pray with you. Let me talk a little bit about this table because the reason we take so much time to do this is we want you to experience what it's like to worship the Lord. You spending time with the Lord, it may be awkward, it may be hard for you. I encourage you to sit in it. Uh, let the Lord speak to you in it. But the Lord said, what I've passed on to you, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to encourage you in this, that when we come and we partake of this, we are remembering the redemption and the forgiveness that is ours through the work of Jesus Christ. But we also remember his resurrection and that he promises he's coming back. That this isn't all that there is. That our Lord is returning to the new heavens and the new earths. And we long for that day. But there's also a warning in this text. And this text says, uh, if you're in two places, it says don't come to this table. Stay where you are. And it's for your own protection because the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves. He says, if you're not a believer here this morning, this is a table for those that are professing the name of Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer, we love having you here. You're welcome to be a part of everything that we do. But we ask you to respect the fact that this is for those that have come to that place where they've stepped from that place of not believing to believing and putting their hope in the Lord. The second thing the Lord says here is if we come to this table and we're, we're doing this right here, where we're saying, I want you, but I don't want you around me. That I don't want you to have every part of me. That there are parts of us that we're holding back from the Lord and saying, okay, you can have 80%, but you can't have this 20%. The Lord is saying, that's not love. Come on, we know that in all relationships. So we should expect that from the Lord as well. He's saying, deal with that first then come to the table. Deal with that. And how do you deal with that? Maybe you don't know how to deal with that other than just saying, Lord, I need you in all of it. If that's your heart, if that's your desire, Lord, I need you in all of it, then come to this table. If that's your desire and you don't even know how to do that, that's okay. Come to the table. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this table. We thank you, Father, that 
on that last night when you were with your disciples, you took this cup and you took this bread and you said, do this in remembrance of me, that we can come to this table to experience you, to be reminded, to taste, to touch. Restore our courage, Lord. Return us back to the sanity that you have birthed us into. And lead us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. When you're ready, please come.